Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Down the Middle with Doc and Zip. We're fired up, ready to come back for episode number three. This is going to be a great show, folks, as we're going to wrap up the PGA Championship, talk talk about Brooks Kepka's amazing performance. We're also going to answer some email questions uh, about wedge bounce that Zip has been getting there at Golf HQ. Uh, and then also we're going to wrap it up with our very first guest. We're going to have Christy Egnot, the regional league manager for the PGA of America, and she's going to come in and tell us all about how to get started with the PGA Junior League. So, Zip, we've got a lot to talk about, my friend. What's up, Doc? Let's do it, brother. All right. So we had a lot of excitement last week, and, uh, you know, yours truly did call it. Brooks Kepka was the pick. You picked it. Boy, you really went outside the box on that one. <laughs> I will say my uh... – I will say my two picks, uh, Keegan Bradley and Jason Kokrak, they both played pretty well. They made the cut. And uh, I gotta, I'm got i blown away. However, we both were right on the winning score. We said eight or nine under would win, but we, uh, we he almost shot that in the first round. So he kind of came back to us a little bit on Saturday and Sunday. But, I mean, the course got harder as the week went on. The weather and the wind got worse. Um, but he had to uh, – he had to toughen up and bring it home those last four or five holes on Sunday. The DJ got close within a stroke. But what can you say? First Cup was the real deal. He's tough as nails. He's probably the best thinker and mental player when it comes to majors since Tiger Woods. Um, and it's, you know, unbelievable. Unbelievable what he did. And he's going to be the favorite in a few weeks at Pebble. No, I mean, that course is going to be tailor-made for him. So, it's a, I mean, what can you say? Well, the wheels certainly started to fall off there on the back nine, and Dustin Johnson played great. So, it really got interesting there the last hour or so of the telecast. But, uh, you know, I, I think the thing that impressed me so much was not only does Brooks Kepka play with that chip on his shoulder, but he's so strong physically to be able to move the ball out of the rough like he did really gave him a big advantage. Yeah. Right, I mean, yes, yeah, I mean he's just so strong with his upper body, and he hits his irons high and long like you needed at that golf course, like we kind of spoke about in episode two. Uh, but he's got the short game and the imagination, and you know he's he's got a, he's a good putter, and you know he he did what he set out to do, and like you said, he kind of you know he's still talking about um, being mad about some of the critics, um, and that might be an episode down the road here, we can kind of talk about our boy, Brandel Chambly on the Gulf Channel. Um, love him or hate him, he stirs the putt. And the PGA Tour is really heating up. You know, this week they're uh, at Colonial. I'll forever call it the Colonial Invitational at Hogan's Alley, but it's actually called the Charles Schwab Challenge. Uh, Tony <laughs> got out early with six under today. Jordan Spieth is at five under, and my man Jason Duffner is lurking around at three under after the first round, and then they're coming to your neck of the woods for the memorial. Yep, they're going to be at Jack's place. I hope Tiger plays. He'll probably commit, you know, right at the deadline, which I think it's usually – they usually have to commit by Friday, the week before the tournament. Uh, I believe he's won there four times, and uh, he's got to play before Pebble. Um, he was a, Obviously, he was a little rusty, which is hard, you know, hard to believe or funny to say because what he just did at Augusta, but um, – he missed a lot of five and six footers again, especially on Thursday and Friday, but he made some long ones that 
you know, I guess that balances out, when, you know, ones you don't expect to make. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Pebbles, you know, there's horses for courses. I think Phil has got a great chance at Pebble. Um, obviously, he, he, you know, he, it's just kind of course where he's always going to play well at. Um, you know, I think Tiger will be in the mix. And how about our boy uh, Jordan Spieth um, finding, uh, finding his game um, at Beth Page? He kept telling everyone he was close, and everyone just, you know, just thought he was blowing smoke. But uh, what did you think about Jordan? He finally looked like he uh, got all together. Well, he started rolling the rock pretty nicely there. And uh, when Jordan Spieth makes putts, it's just a matter of can he – can he keep it down the middle? Uh, you know, no pun intended there. But he's got to put the ball in play and uh, give himself opportunity to make a ton of birdies. Yep, and our Kentucky boy, JT, Justin Thomas, he's going to be returning from the wrist injury uh, at the Memorial. Um, you know, he withdrew from the PGA last week. I'm sure he's, you know, devastated or disappointed not to be able to participate. But you got to do what you got to do. Take some rest and uh, make sure you're 100% and, I think uh, if he can get on his game, he'll also be a factor at Pebble as well. And, you know, we're starting to see more and more uh, play at a Cherry Blossom, and you're probably seeing more foot traffic coming in the store. So uh, it's, it's an exciting time to uh, get out on the golf course. And one of the popular segments we had in the last episode was about club fitting. And I know you have some viewer mail that you want to talk about in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're rocking and rolling this week. Um, it is our re-grand opening sale at the store. Um, started, uh, you know, it runs through the weekend, runs through Sunday. we got a ton of giveaways, a ton of contests and prizes. Everything's on sale. Uh, we're doing close-to-the-pin contests um, on the simulators, uh, which is really cool. We're giving away gift cards, and all of our factory brand reps are there each day set up. You know, Mizuno, Callaway, um, Cobra, Tor Edge, uh, Titleist. Um, so it's a really fun time. Um, if you're in the, you know, of course, if you're local in the area, you're physically able to stop by. Um, if not, you know, visit GolfHQ.com. Um, tons of great bargains and sales going on there. All the hottest equipment for 2019. And speaking of equipment, um, we got a couple questions sent to our email, a couple fitting and um, tech questions, if you will. Patrick from uh, Dallas. Right. He said, is it possible I picked the wrong bounce on my wedges? It seems like I blade the ball a lot more compared to my last set. Very interesting question and a question that I, I do get asked a lot, but probably should be asked more often. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know what bounce on wedges is. What's that little second number um, that's going to be stamped or printed right by the loft? Um, so the first thing is, you know, hey, what is bounce on wedges? And bounce pretty much relates to um, the gap of the leading edge of the wedge and the space between that leading edge and the turf. Um, so there's low bounce, there's mid bounce, and there's high bounce wedges. And why is that number important? Well, for a couple of reasons. Two factors come down to, um, you know, what bounce, choosing the wrong or the right bounce, I should say, um, when it comes to your wedges. If you're a you know, if you're a steep player, if you're a trapper, if you take a large divot um, with most of your irons, your scoring irons, and your wedges on full swings, um, think of maybe somebody, think of someone like Arnold Palmer um, or Tiger um, or, you know, or Bubba Watson, people that really are steep and uh, take a nice large divot. 
they're probably not going to benefit from a low bounce. Um, you know, they're going to benefit from probably a mid to high bounce. Whereas if you're more of a sweeper or a picker of the golf ball and you take very little divot or you barely disrupt the turf, maybe somebody more like a Jack, um, you know, maybe more like Nicholas um, is, you know, if, or if you just start to take a divot like on your eight iron down, you know, you're a little more shallow attack angle. You're probably going to want a lower bounce because you're going to want to compress that ball more. You're going to want to pinch that turf more and kind of dig down into it and, um, you know, to maybe take a little more of a divot. Now, on the, you know, taking it up another level, bounce can also relate to the, you know, the course conditions that you're either A, going to be playing or B, um, typically playing in your region or wherever you might live. Now, you know, we're not, you know, a lot of you out there, you know, you're not touring pros. You can't change your wedge bounce, you know, every week um, based on the golf course you're playing. But what I mean is, you know, if you're, you know, if you live out west, um, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Southern Cal, and you play a lot of desert-type golf courses or you play a lot of places where it's dry, you get a lot of roll, you know, a lot of tight lies or hard pan lies. And, you know, if you go with a wedge that has too high, high of a bounce, that sole is going to skip off that turf, and you're not going to hit, you know, where you need to strike that golf ball properly. You're going to catch it in the middle or in the equator of the ball. You're going to hit a lot of blade and a lot of thin shots. You're going to probably benefit from more of a low bounce. You know, if you live in the Midwest or the Northeast and, you know, you play a lot of lush, um, maybe wetter, softer conditions, um, you know, thicker, thicker blades of grass, you know, bent grass and things like that, you might benefit from a mid or a higher uh, bounce on your wedges because that's going to, that sole's going to splash through the turf easier, splash through the grass easier, um, you know, and get the ball airborne a lot easier, have it lay on the green softer. But, you know, always remember one thing that bounce is your friend, um, especially when coming out of the sand. If you play a lot of courses that have, you know, nice, fluffy, lush bunkers and soft sand, that higher bounce is actually that the part of the sole that's going to be splashing through the turf. And we all know that splashing the sand is actually what advances our golf ball, um, you know, towards our target. So, you know, that that's where bounce is obviously designed to help you. And you can go to a club, any club fitter. Um, you can go to a lot of these companies' um, websites, and there's even little questionnaires that you can do right from your couch or your desk um, online and answer some of the questions that they ask you about your game. And they'll recommend, um, you know, bounces um, for you because, you know, some of us play in all types of conditions throughout the year. Um, you don't want to have to change the bounce of your wedge just because you're going on a golf trip to, say, Scottsdale or Pinehurst or Myrtle Beach or, you know, wherever you're maybe headed. So, I, you know, I just hope that kind of, um, you know, clears up a lot of the confusion when it comes to bounce on wedges. Um, and you can take that info with you uh, next time you go and buy some new wedges and uh, help you score around the greens a lot better. You know, I think that's a great conversation, and uh, like you said, a lot of people really don't understand the bounce and the purpose uh, that it serves uh, in playing different shots. I think about that 56-degree wedge playing out of a, a greenside bunker, and, you know, traditional instruction has always been open it up, hit two inches behind it, uh, you know, and the ball is going to float up on a, a pretty uh, pretty wave of sand, 
and it's going to land softly on the green. And, and that may be the case if you're playing at Torrey Pines or somewhere out west with, with white, fluffy sand. But if you're right. playing here in central Kentucky, southern Illinois, southeast Missouri, somewhere in the Midwest, where course conditions are much more firm and the, the sand is typically compacted, I mean, if you play that type of shot, you're going to blade the heck out of it and really be frustrated with your sand play. So uh, course conditions, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of times – well, you know, we'll read that article in Golf Digest or see it on uh, the Golf Channel, and we'll go out and we'll blade it across the green, and we're like, well, why did that happen? I got right. it for my wedge. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got hard pan sand, or, you know, it just rained for two days. You know, that's the sole of that wedge is just going to skip off the surface of that turf. And like you say, you're going to catch the equator of the golf ball, and it's going to go flying across the green. So, you know, and I can also, you know, from a kind of a lesson or a tip perspective, the softer the sand the higher the lip, the more you should open that club face. There's absolutely nothing wrong with keeping that club face square to maybe even a little shut if you're, you know, playing in some hard pan sand or some, you know, some hard, you know, packed uh, sand traps. That square club, um, you know, will get you out and, you know, get you, you know, puts enough spin on it to hold the green and you'll be surprised in your results um, just by kind of making that slight adjustment. You got to adjust to what the lie gives you, you know, just like if you're in the rough or in a tight line in the fairway. I mean, you got to, you know, you've got to analyze how your ball's sitting in the sand, what kind of sand you're playing. And you'll know just as soon as you step in it, you can feel it with your feet. It's kind of why we shimmy our feet a little bit, you know, and, and settle down in the sand, kind of feel what kind of surface we're dealing with. And, you know, I think another thing we don't spend enough time talking about is is loft, especially when it comes to the wedges. And right. you look back at how equipment has changed, you know, in the 1960s and 70s, the loft on a pitching wedge was about 52 degrees. You know, and then in, in the 80s, it went to 50 degrees. In the 90s, it's about 48 degrees. You know, I, you play in a golf scramble with a guy today, and he hits a pitching wedge 150 yards and sticks his chest out. And it's like, dude, that's because your your pitching wedge has about 46 and a half degrees of loft on it. Right. So I've, so, seen some, I've seen some sets, to your point, I've seen some super game improvement you know, wide sole, oversized irons have 44 degrees in their pitching wedge. And so when you're putting your wedge set together, you know, whether you carry three wedges or four wedges, I mean, you want to look at the loft, obviously, and you want to make sure that those are spread out to cover a wide variety of distances, you know, maybe three to four degrees uh, separation in each of those wedges. What advice do you give people coming in to the store thinking about buying the best wedge for their game? Gapping is extremely important. You hit the nail on the head. The first question I ask them is, what loft is your pitching wedge? And if they don't know, I ask them what model they're playing, and then I go look it up. I look I look at the spec sheet, uh, and they'll tell me the loft of each iron. And, yeah, that's super important. For instance, you know, my Mizuno um, JPX uh, Hot Metal Pros, uh, my pitching wedge is uh, 46 degrees. So my gap wedge is 50. My sand wedge is 54. My log wedge is 58. Um, it's kind of why there's no S's and L's on a lot of these wedges anymore for sand and lob. Everyone, you know, they just got the loss on because everyone is different. I recommend, you know, four degrees um, between each club because that's pretty much uh, your set makeup, you know, when you start your hybrids or your four or five iron, whatever it may be, and you go down the set. You know, four degrees is pretty uniform, pretty standard, and that's where you're going to find, you know, the best dispersion that way. And, you know, another thing that, that the average player may not really understand about equipment is loft is going to be different depending on what manufacturer you're playing. So a Titleist 7 iron, a Mizuno 7 iron, and a Ping 7 iron may have a different loft. 
I may have a different loft, and if all three of them claim to be a standard lie angle, um, they could all be different. You know, it, it, they're referring to, hey, this is a standard lie for our company. You know what I mean? So a, a standard Titleist might be one degree flatter than a standard ping. So, you know, that's also important to know when you're uh, going through club fitting also. So I know Zip loves having this conversation as a master club fitter uh, there in the, in the store. And I also enjoy having these conversations because I think there's a lot of confusion uh, about the makeup of your set. So in saying that, Zip, what are some tips or maybe some more advice you have for that guy that comes in the store looking for that perfect wedge? There's a lot of good wedges out there. Um, you know, look and feel are very important. First, once you establish, you know, the loss that you need to kind of fit in with your iron set, um, you know, think about the weight. A lot of some wedge, some brand wedges are heavier than others. Um, you know, for me, my perspective, I like that. That I feel like I can get down and through the ball easier when I can feel the head of that wedge throughout my swing. Um, one thing to keep in mind, too, is, you know, people, let's say someone gets fit for their set irons and they fit into two degrees upright. And then they ask, well, should I have my wedges be about the same? And the answer really um, is yes and no. If you fit into two degrees upright in your wedges, you probably should just maybe go about one. Um, the rule of thumb is really one degree less than whatever um, you fit into with your irons. So if you're one degree flat with your irons, it's probably okay um, to go with standard lie in your irons or in your wedges. Just like if you're one degree upright or two degrees upright in your irons, it's okay to go one degree upright. Just because um, wedges are made to be versatile, Sometimes you stand close to them when you chip or hit pitch shots. You choke down a little bit. Um, but you also want it to fit, um, you know, your impact position when you make a full swing with it. So you're also going to find, too, when you go in your local pro shop or a local store and you uh, look at some wedges on the rack, um, you're going to see a lot of the steel shafts are going to say wedge flex on them. And really all that means is, you know, whether it's a dynamic gold or a project X or a nip-on, um, what that means to you is the shaft is going to be a little heavier, um, just because, you know, the the club's a little shorter in length. And it might be a little softer at the tip. And uh, that's so you get a little more action um, at impact, closer to the head. That'll get you out of a variety of tougher lies. And it just makes the wedge um, more versatile for you. The stiffer the shaft in the wedge, um, the more tense you have for that ball to roll up the club face. Um, and you know, I know we've all kind of felt that sometimes. And we feel the ball roll up the face and impact, and it balloons on us. That's too much spin. It just doesn't quite carry as far as we intended it to. So, you know, we talk a lot about getting fitted for a driver, but I uh, don't hear enough conversation about getting fitted for wedges. But you certainly want to do that as well. And why not go see Zip and have him fit you there at the store? And if you're going to buy a new wedge, always remember you can go to golfhq.com from T to Green and head to toe golfhq.com is the place to go. And if you want to send us your questions uh, and let us read them on the air and give you an answer, you can always send them to our email at docandzip at gmail.com, or you can DM us on Twitter at DTMGolfPod. So, Zip, from there, uh, I'll let you take us home. Yeah, let's wrap it up for Episode 3. Keep the questions and comments coming, guys. This show is for you. Uh, you know, We do it for you to get the information out there to help you with every aspect of your game. And before we wrap things up today, I want to give another quick shout-out. We touched on it in Episode 2. Um, our local buddy, Cherry Blossom uh, Club Champ, senior at Western Kentucky University, 
uh, Hilltoppers, uh, Billy Tom Sargent. Uh, like we said, he uh, made it to the NCAA Division One Championships as an individual. He is the first individual uh, to ever compete in the NCAA Championship uh, from Western Kentucky University. So congrats on that. Uh, he clinched his spot in a three-hole playoff um, last week in the uh, regionals. He tees it up in the championship this week at the Blessings Golf Club in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And we, uh, he tees off on Friday. And to say we are rooting for him is going to be an understatement. I'm so pumped for the guy. Uh, I know his family is so excited and so proud. I'm great friends with his father um, who kind of mentored me with, uh, with my first year as a head boys varsity golf coach down there in uh, Georgetown, Lexington area. Um, so shout out to Sarge, shout out to BT. Uh, we couldn't be more proud of them and, uh, the sky's the limit. We can't wait to see what the future brings. You have any picks for this week, Zip? My pick at the Colonial Country Club. Oh, geez. Um, I like Jason Duffner. Duffner plays old school country clubs well, and I don't think there's a more old school club, um, on the tour schedule than Colonial, um, Big old trees, uh, a lot of dog legs. Um, yeah, I like Duff. Um, well, I think the winning score is going to be somewhere around, you know, 14, 15 under par. Uh, I think the guys are going to go a little lower uh, than they went last week. Uh, Tony Finau, as I said, uh, is off to a great start. But I really think Jordan Spieth is going to uh, play really well this week. Uh, Texas kid and wants to win there in front of the home crowd. I changed my pick. It's Jordan Spieth. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's not a better place um, to get back in the winner's circle than home in front of your friends and family. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a great pick. And it would be uh, cool for golf, cool for him to, uh, you know, hoist that trophy on Sunday. So we'll be keeping a watchful eye on the leaderboards at both the Charles Schwab Challenge there in Texas, and we're also going to be following the Senior PGA Championship at Oak Hill in New York, and Zip and I will break that down for you uh, in next week's episode. So that brings us to a new segment that we're both very excited about. We're calling this the DTM Conversation, and this is an opportunity to bring a guest onto the program and uh, you know get a different perspective uh, about this wonderful game. So if you think you would be a good fit for a guest spot on the Down the Middle podcast with Doc and Zip, be sure to email us at docandzip at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. So with that, we're very excited to launch our very first DTM conversation. I hope you enjoy it. It's time to bring in our very first guest on the Down the Middle podcast with Doc and Zip. Well, we're so excited to bring in Christy Egnot, the Regional League Manager for the PGA of America. And Zip and I are going to talk with Christy today about Junior League golf and all the exciting things happening um, in, her, in her world. So, Christy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And you have a connection with uh, my man Zip here. Uh, you've communicated on numerous occasions as Zip has actually coached a PGA Junior League team in the past. And so, uh, Zip, I'll kind of let you lead the way here, my friend. Absolutely. Hi, Christy. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's awesome to have you. Uh, we're very excited. Um, yeah, Christy, uh, unfortunately, had the good fortune of uh, answering my many questions and emails all last season as a uh, 
rookie head coach uh, for our PGA League, our PGA Junior League team, and um, she was more than accommodating. So um, thanks again. And I was actually very thrilled we finally got to meet. Um, I believe it was back in February over at Greenbrier Briar Country Club there in Central Kentucky. Um, we uh, had that little uh, kind of preseason meeting. Um, and there was a lot of changes and a lot of exciting things coming up for the 2019 season um, of the PGA Junior League. Chrissy, if you don't mind, to start us off, um, you know, tell myself and Doc and our listeners exactly just a little bit about your, maybe your uh, background in golf and growing up and uh, where you're from and kind of how you got involved in what you're doing today. Sure. Uh, I grew up in a small town called Highland, Illinois. Uh, it's about 25 miles from St. Louis on the east side. Uh, so I'm a big St. Louis Blues fan. So very exciting time for me as they're heading to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since I've been born. Um, my dad uh, really was the reason I started playing golf. Uh, he, he pretty much taught himself how to play. He'd been playing since he was a teenager and was about seven years old. He's like, do you want to play golf? And honestly, my first thought was, I thought he meant putt-putt. And I, I was like, sure. And he goes, no, like real golf. And I, I didn't really know. Like, you didn't see a lot of girls playing back then. And I was like, oh, I, I can do that? And he's like, sure. So that was really how I got my start. And then, um, you know, my, like I said, it's a small town. And we had a country club. And I use that term loosely. Um, it was nine holes with a swimming pool and a bar. And it's a great community though. And the community really got together and cultivated a great junior golf program uh, for a town of 9,000 people. We've got 70 to 80 kids in the junior program to this day, every single year. So um, it's a wonderful community. My dad actually ran the junior program for a little bit. He's, awesome. Awesome. he's by no means a PGA professional, just the guy who likes golf. And I helped him when I was a teenager and, went on to play at Southern Illinois University, uh, Edwardsville, which is, again, just outside the St. Louis area. Um, during college, I went and did an internship for the American Junior Golf Association. And I liked it so much, I went back another year after I graduated. Uh, happened, that's how I met my husband as well. So we're, we're a big uh, golfing couple. Uh, and then after the AJGA, I worked for um, U.S. Kids Golf, and I was in their tournament operations department for awesome. almost nine years. Uh, and then I um, left there and started uh, getting involved with PGA Junior League program. So it sounds like uh, Junior League, or Junior Golf, I should say, was really kind of what you centered and focused on um, in your career. It really has. I mean, I've done junior golf my my whole life um when I was nine years old I actually told my fourth grade teacher I was going to run the LPGA tour um that was that was my aspiration uh maybe you know maybe when I grow up that might yeah, exactly but uh no like it it was just a natural fit I, I knew I wanted to work in golf operations um and like golf administration and so that AJGA internship was kind of the golden ticket to getting your foot in the door. So I, I worked towards that for a long time. And, and then it was just a natural fit to stay in junior golf. And it's so fun to give back to a sport that's given me so much. Absolutely. So what exactly is your role today? And uh, how long have you been in that position? Yeah, so I'm the regional league manager. Um, I work for the PGA of America. There's 12 regional league managers uh, in the country. I work with the Kentucky, Tennessee, 
gateway Gulf states and Alabama, Northwest Florida section. So I do cover quite a big territory and really my job is to be a resource for the PGA and LPGA professionals that want to run their PGA junior league program. Um, it is, it's a complex program. So getting involved the first time, you know, and Zip, you can probably say, you know, you can attest to this. It's, it's a little eye opening because there's a lot going on. So just kind of helping them organize and, and get all their ducks in a row so that they can be successful with junior league and we can bring more people into the game ultimately. Absolutely. You're a very big help. So I appreciate that very much. You know, Christy, we talk a lot on the podcast about growing the game and doing that through um, junior participation. And, you know, you think about things like the first tee program and those kind of things over the years to try to grow the game. And now it's just a really cool concept to have this uh, PGA Junior League uh, available for kids. Uh, You know, it it would be great if they would have had that when I was a kid growing up because I would have been more apt to get out and participate. So, just talk about the growth of junior golf and why it's so important for all of us in the industry to really promote something like that and get kids out on the golf course. Well, I think, you know, if we compare it to other sports, we all drive by the baseball fields and the soccer fields, and it's almost like a rite of passage that at some point you're going to try one of those two sports. And, and golf tends to be this, you know, like gated community where, you know, people don't necessarily feel welcome. And I think, you know, the other aspect is our first instinct is to try to teach kids how to play golf before we put them on the course, where when we're talking about baseball or even, you know, basketball and soccer, we just kind of throw them on the field to play. And then it's entertaining to watch them all, you know, travel around in packs and, and chase the, you know, chase after the ball. And, you know, we want golf to look like that because if we get more kids trying golf, if every single kid in the country in the world tried golf, our percentages would be higher as an industry. I mean, we've got more courses closing than are opening now. And if we don't get our kids playing, then, you know, our golf professionals aren't, you know, you know we want to make sure they have jobs down the road. And, and really, I, I don't think that anybody that ever played golf and really took hold of it regrets playing it. Um, you know, it's a sport we can play for a lifetime. So if you, if you start playing when you're, seven or 17 I mean you can play it till you're 99 so the more we get them on the course to fall in love with the game on the field of play then I think the better chance we have to keep them long term going absolutely and yeah I think that's very well said and uh, we also want to talk about the fact that the junior league kind of goes hand in hand with the PGA reach program so can you talk to us about what that is and just a little bit about that initiative yeah, so our PGA REACH is um, the PGA of America's 501c3 foundation, and it has three pillars, and um, the PGA Junior League program is the flagship youth program for that pillar. So our, our big push there is um, providing scholarships to those who you know can't necessarily afford uh, to play junior league. So any kids on free or reduced lunch uh, qualify for a full tuition scholarship to play PGA Junior League. And then there's also assistance there um, for military families that request, um, we cover their $75 PGA reach fee for military families that, that apply for that. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. No game, no sport like golf gives back um, to, you know, to local national charities 
uh, like the game of golf. So um, that's just awesome to hear. You know, um, if you could tell everybody, you know, how do parents or grandparents or, you know, big brother, big sister, how do people find out um, if their local club or course has a PGA Junior League team, how do they find out they're participating? And then once they find out that a course in the area is offering it, um, exactly how do they register their child? Sure, great question. Um, anyone can go to our website, which is pgajuniorleague.com, and it's pgajrleague.com. And there's a big green sign-up button in the right corner, and you can click on that, and you can search by your zip code. And there's a mile radius that you can put your zip code in, and any program is going to come up there um, that has registered to participate in PGA Junior League. I will say there is um, there are two types of programs. We have invite only registrations, and um, then we have open registrations. And we have um, you know we have several private facilities that are open to the public to register. Um, okay, cool. So it will tell you on there if it's open or invite only, and then there's contact information. So if you're you know new to an area or looking for a team, you can see if the club has that, and it you know you can reach out and you know, ask even about membership rates if you want to join the club to play on that team. Um, if it's open registration, you can go straight through and sign up um, on our website with, without even really having uh, to call the course or anything like that. Those invite-only ones are the only, only circumstances where you would need to call. But I would say it's about – it's pretty much 50-50 for open and invite-only registrations. And, you know, Christy, Doc and I get – or Zip and I get a lot of questions about what this actually looks like in action. So uh, I've, I've heard it described as Little League uh, on the golf course. I don't know if that's something that you're comfortable with, but it's kind of along that same concept. But can you just kind of talk about, you know, the age, the format, how many kids on a team, and what parents can expect? Sure. So each uh, program can actually set their own parameters. Uh, the the f- I guess the – Original flagship program is the 13U program. Um, you know, I get a lot, what's the minimum age? We do have five-year-olds, and I've seen some four-year-olds registered to participate. Um, I would say usually the minimum age is about seven to eight. Uh, a good rule of thumb that I hear with most um, of my PGA Junior League captains is if they can get the bag around the course by themselves, then they can play in PGA Junior League because we know we know the age is, you know, subjective. There's probably some six-year-olds that are ready to go, and maybe some nine-year-olds that aren't. So, right, right. Um, so that's kind of the measuring stick that most use. It's about that seven to eight-year-old is the minimum age, and then we also have a 17U program. So once those 14-year-olds have aged out of the 13U program. Um, you know, we've got this, you know, there's a gap. So, you know, it's like you might be 13 and once you turn 14, you're not ready for these tours and all of these really serious competitive events. Some kids still just want to play and have fun or still developing at that age. And that's really what the 17U program is designed to do um, is supposed to kind of bridge that gap from, you know, maybe middle school to high school golf or the kids that maybe they don't make their high school team and they just need some more fun and development. Yeah. That's that's kind of what what that's there for, and the little league is uh, you know it's interesting. Uh, the program was actually created by a gentleman while he was watching the little league world series, and he said, "Why not golf?" So that's kind of where that comparison comes in uh, from the 
from the originator, um, really the format, I guess, in to put it in golf terms, essentially you play, it's a scramble. So it's a team scramble and you play three, three hole matches. Uh, so you and your partner play against another team's, you know, two some or three some, and you might lose every hole, the first three holes, and then you get to start over on hole four. So you, you know, it gives everybody a chance to contribute. And, you know, if you lose the first three holes, it's no big deal because you can get a point on the next three. So that's, I think the easiest way um, to explain it. Then we also utilize a substitute. So, you know, we have some younger kids that play and, and maybe they only have three holes in them. Right. Yeah. Um, so they can, they can be a sub and, you know, you get in that situation where you know, maybe they can only come for a little bit and they need to go because they have, another commitment they can play their three holes help their team and and you know maybe move on to something else so actually the substitute is one of my favorite things about pga junior league um, because it also gives older kids the opportunity to mentor Um, you know we we could be looking at our future coaches and you know kids that really grasp on to that i'm gonna help my peers out and get that peer learning thing going and, you know, just kind of as a follow-up to that, um, you know, I think one of the things that's really helping junior golf is something like the new drive, chip, and putt competition. I think back to when I was a kid, you know, baseball was pitch, hit, and run. Football, it was punt, pass, and kick. I competed in both those growing up, and that really uh, was a driving force for me to try to uh, get involved in more activities. So uh, if you just think about the growth of junior golf, and we do things like that, that has to be a positive influence moving forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the more things we can do to expose the kids and then, you know, I think what we need to do a better job of in the industry is holding their hand to the next step. You know, if someone shows up for the free drive chip and putt, you know, competition and, you know, they're, they're not the kids that are going to end up at Augusta. It's, you know, our job to say, okay, this person has an interest in the game and then where do we take them from here? And that's really what PGA junior league is designed to, you know, get them on the course and kind of fill that gap from, okay, I went to a camp and I went to the range and, you know, now what do I do? And it's an easy way into the golf course. Going back to what you said a little bit about, you know, utilizing the subs and substitutes, that's kind of your favorite part of the whole program. That was kind of mine too. Um, You know, we had a team of, I believe, 10 or 12 kids on our roster, but, you know, either A, you're playing against a team of maybe only six or eight, you know, players. So, you know, you've got to utilize this sub and give everyone, a, you know, a chance to play. And um, what I was taken back by and what I enjoyed the most was the camaraderie between the kids. I mean, you're, you know, we had kids ages five to I think, I think our oldest was 12 or 13. And, you know, I wasn't sure how they were going to interact with one another, number one. But number two, I wasn't sure how if the subs were going to pout you know, because they kind of got to follow along with the group, you know, and wait their turn and sub in and play a few holes. And, you know, you, you know, it, there's a, there's a science to it in a way. And you kind of, you know, as you're, as a coach, you kind of learn, you know, um, you want everyone to play with everyone eventually, but I just thought that was cool how to see the kids rooting one other on or walking down the fairway with each other and, um, you know, helping them read a putt or lining them up on the tee. I just thought that was so cool. And, um, you know, one of, like I said, you know, one of my favorite aspects of it as well, um, just seeing the kids root each other on and it really did become, you know, a team, you know, a team atmosphere and a team format. Um, 
what um you know what what kind of advice do you have? I mean, you had tons of great advice for me last year, and folks out there listening, if it sounds a little overwhelming or a little confusing, it really isn't. To be honest with you, it is way more laid back and fun. Um, no offense, but it's way more laid back and fun than I initially thought it was going to be. Um, especially if you're like me, and I'm kind of a little bit of a perfectionist or a warrior. I want everything to go right. And I want the parents to feel like they're getting something out of it. Cause at the end of the day, it's their money that they've, you know, they've paid, they want their kids to learn and be involved as much as possible. Um, you know, I know, you know, parents were, you know, involved and encouraged to, you know, help out and keep score for the groups and um, shuttle the kids when there was a long walk uh, from the last green to the next tee. And I, you know, that was a big help and, really made it feel like kind of like a family um, atmosphere. What's What kind of advice or tips would you give to local pros and course managers, you know, just to kind of make sure it's successful and they continue to have a team every year, or, you know, or, I mean, God willing, you know, multiple teams at one facility, like I know a lot of courses have. Yeah, I think, um, you know, how you frame it and the perception of the program makes all the difference in the world. Um, you know, I like to use the analogy that, you know, we have men's leagues and we have ladies leagues that are, are clubs and, you know, they sign up for those because they just want to have fun playing golf with their friends. And that that's what junior league is. And, and, and sometimes like, I think some professionals get hung up on, well, what courses are we going to play? And they sell the program based on what courses their kids are going to go play. And, you know, I, I see a need, you know, once the kids have developed their skills, you know, that comes into play when they go play in tournaments. But if we're just talking about league golf, you know, league play for golf, I mean, it's the easier you can make it, the better. Um, the number one thing that people can do is, organize and organize early and communicate often. Um, that's, I think the, the biggest trap I see people get into is I, I honestly start calling our registration for facilities and captains to sign up started in um, late November this year, right after, uh, right before Thanksgiving. And so, you know, we start saying sign up now. And the initial thought is, well, I'm not going to start playing till, June 1st, why am I thinking about this in November? But the ones who think about it in November and get all their ducks in a row, they're the ones that are the most successful. Um, they have the most teams. They have a captain um, actually very near where I grew up in Illinois. He's one of the first five people to sign up for his program every year. And he does his schedule. He has it done probably by the end of November. If not, it's for sure done by the first of the year. He had 120 kids registered on February 4th and registration wow. opened Feb like February 1st is when registration opened. Wow. So, I mean, his program was sold out because parents know exactly what they're getting. The, the double-edged sword of PGA junior league is I can't do a schedule because I don't know how many people are going to play and nobody can sign up because there's no schedule. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, you, you get your, you got your core group that, you know, are, are going to play golf because that's what they do. They play golf. But if we're going to bring other people in, parents, the first question you get if you go to a parents meeting is, when is it? What night are we playing? What are we doing? So the more, you know, that's why I, I love the facilities that run their own in-house league 
I mean, the best thing about that is you knew your schedule right away. You know when you're available. You don't have to coordinate that with any other facilities, member, guest, or, you know, club championship. Like, you know exactly when you when you can play. And you can put that schedule out while there's still snow on the ground in most places. And when player registration opens, you contact your members and say, here's our junior league team. And, you know, if they make it, they sign up. So, I mean, it's they – organization is the key to this program. Well, Christy, it's been a great conversation and we've been so excited to have you as we're all trying to promote uh, junior golf and growing the game. So as we wrap it up, I do want to give you a closing thought. Uh, maybe tell us how we can get in touch with you if we want more information and just kind of give us a closing thought as to why it's so important to have a team and to get kids excited about playing this great game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, any any golf professionals, LPGA, PGA professionals that are looking to captain a team, um, they can sign up or um, go to PGAJuniorLeague.com, and we do have uh, a captains tab where you can find um, you can find your regional league manager uh, if you want to reach out uh, reach out to them and and find out how to get started in the program. Uh, the summer season is well underway, but the fall season uh, will start, you know, August 1st. So it's never too late to get involved and get started and get planning. Uh, any parents or kids that want to get involved, you know, I would go to our website. would be the first thing I would do, search for programs in your area. Each golf professional is going to run their program and their season a little differently. So look for courses in your area. Um, there's a lot of resources on the format and videos to watch uh, on our website as well. But, you know, I, I love this program. I love my job. Uh, it's, it's fun to get up every day and, and do this. And, you know, I, I was at down in Atlanta playing golf and was on the range next to a kid in a junior league Jersey and <laughs> I'm all geeking out. And my husband's like, you're, it's like, you can't follow that kid around and take pictures of him. I'm like, but it's so exciting. Like, you know, he's, he's playing golf because of what we do every day. So, you know, I love it. And you have to get kids in the game because the game, that's the only way the game's going to be here long-term is if we, we get the kids to fall in love with it. Absolutely. I mean, we'll, in 10 years, hopefully, you know, these kids need to be playing the game. Otherwise, you know, our jobs don't exist. So it's, it's very important can't stress that enough. I think we've established that, of course. Um, but it's one of the most rewarding things that I've done in my career, coaching the, you know, the team last year. Um, the, the kids get two jerseys. Um, they get a really cool kit. They get a little backpack. They get a practice T-shirt. Um, they get a hat. Um, you know, the kit probably might have changed this season. Um, but it, it's just awesome. And I can't stress enough, folks, please go out and or log on to the website and try to Try to find one in your area. And if you don't find one at your local course or club, you know, ask the GM, ask the pro um, what they think about getting involved. And, um, you know, maybe it'd be because of you um, that that club gets a program in the future and it becomes really successful. So, uh, Christy, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, it was great to have you on and giving us all your information. Um, me and Doc, of course, wish you the best of luck uh, this season and going forward. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. All right, folks, once again, thanks for listening to the podcast. Share it out with your friends. Uh, and, Zip, you can take us on home. Absolutely. That's right, Doc. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, guys, follow us on Twitter at DTM Golf Pod. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Down the Middle Podcast with Doc and Zip. 
keep the questions and emails coming in. And uh, as always, you can listen to us on many, many platforms, including Anchor, um, Google Podcasts. And if you go to GolfHQ.com on the front page, uh, at the top there is a podcast link. You go there and all our episodes will be um, there to listen to. And to keep the comments and questions going, Doc, my friend, have a good weekend. Back at you. And we'll be back next week on Down the Middle with Doc and Zip. Thanks, everybody. Down the Middle with Doc and Zip is sponsored by GolfHQ.com. From tee to green and head to toe, GolfHQ.com is the place to go. We also want to tell you about the perfect spot for your next golf trip with stay and play packages available at Cherry Blossom and Longview Golf Clubs in historic Georgetown, Kentucky. Located just 12 miles from Lexington, your visit to the heart of horse country not only includes two great golf courses, but just might lead you to attractions such as the Keeneland Racetrack, a University of Kentucky sporting event, or a trip down the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. To book your golf trip, visit longviewgolfclub.com.